This episode of Broads You Should Know is brought to you by Zencaster, the all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio-quality audio and video without needing all the technical know-how. You can record each guest in their own location and upload that crystal-clear audio and video right into the suite, and you have high-quality raw materials to edit with. No matter what kind of content you're creating, I highly recommend Zencaster, and if you sign up today, you can get 30% off. Just go to zen.ai slash broads you should know. She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I am Sarah Gorski, and I'm here again with Ms. Chloe Skye. Hi, Chloe. Hello, it's me. Chloe was here last week, and now Chloe's here again, and I couldn't be more excited. And Chloe, I have brought us another badass fighting broad who you may or may not have heard of. Have you heard of Rani Lakshmi Bai? Cannot say that I have. At least not by name. She's a badass broad from India. And Rani is the Hindu word for queen. So Queen Lakshmi Bai. But I'm going to use the word Rani because that's the Hindu word. And she was Hindi. And that's the appropriate title for her. Chloe, she's like, okay, she's really epic. I'm just going to say it right off the bat. She's an epic broad. And she is like this cornerstone of Indian history and pride and the fight for Indian independence from Britain. Okay. So... She has a big role in all of that, Um, although it did not happen in her lifetime. But I'm super excited to talk about her. So I'm just going to just jump right in. So Rani Lakshmi Bai was born November 19th, 1828. And she was born to a high caste family. So listeners, the social classes in India are called castes. So she was like an upper class family, a Brahmin family. Uh, And she was born in, they think, Benares, which is now called Varanisi, which is in northern India, on the bank of the Ganges River. Is that how you say it? Ganges River? I don't even know, actually. Chloe, do you I don't know either. (laughs) I think that sounds right. I feel like I've heard that before, but it could have just been other white people saying it. It could have been, and it's still white people saying it right now, so. Yeah, exactly. So it's probably not correct. (laughs) Anyway, she was not born Rani Lakshmi Bai. She was born with the name Manikarnika, and her parents called her Manu. And as I just said, Rani Lakshmi Bai, if you look her up, that's what, you know, her common title is. She's also called Rani of Jhansi. Jhansi is a region of India. It was like a particular territory in India in that time period where she was born. So her mother, Bhagirathi, Bhagirathi, died when she was just four years old. And so she was raised by her dad and the Brahmin priests and scholars. And her dad, whose name is Morapant Tambi, he worked in the royal courts as an advisor. So they were like a pretty high class, top cast family. And as a result of their position, she actually was able to get educated. So she learned how to read and write. She got an actual education. And she also trained in horsemanship and fencing and shooting. Needless to say, that was like super unusual for women of the time period in India. And let's be honest, around the world. Because this at this point, India is already colonized by England or oh, is about yes. to be. Oh, it's very very colonized. 
And in fact, her period of time is the beginning of the end of shit for the British. Got you. Okay. But it's a long beginning of the end. It takes a long time to kick out the colonizers. Of course. So she was raised really well. And then in 1842, she becomes the second wife of Gangadhar Rao Niwakar, who was the Raja of Jhansi, the same area that she was born and raised in. And he also happened to be childless which is important to note in a little bit in the, later in the story. So as was common with this time period, upon her marriage, she is renamed. So women are renamed when they're married. And her, her married name is Lakshmi Bai. And she was considered very unconventional as a queen. And she was also considered very compassionate. She refused to stick by the norms of the Purda system, which said that women were supposed to be concealed from public view by veils or curtains. And she she insisted on speaking with advisors and British officials face to face. She also wore a turban, which was an accessory that was more common among men, not women. Uh, and she was said to have trained her women, like in her circle in court, both to ride and to fight. And then she also was very attentive to the poor. Even though kind of practice said that the higher caste people should not interact with and be involved with lower caste people, she didn't give any fucks about it. And she still kind of was out amongst the poor and helping the poor. Good for her. Yeah. So Lakshmi Bai gives birth to one son in 1851, but he dies four months later. Her husband is also kind of entering a period of like very ill health. Um, and I didn't see a lot in the research about um, the in-between time here about their marriage. And so I'm kind of glossing over that because there just wasn't a ton written about her. And she's also one of these, there's, some, there's a lot of things written about her by the British that paint her out to be this, you know, <laughs> na- let's just say nasty woman. There's just a lot of details that aren't, that weren't written down by the Brits who were officially recording things, right? That checks out. It does check out. As, as per as usual in lots of episodes that follow colonization and fighting against the colonizers. So their son dies and her husband is super sick and he gets really, really, really sick and they're like, oh shit, we're in a fucking situation here. And so they arrange to adopt a distant cousin named Damodar Rao as his son. Now this was apparently very common practice for kings that didn't have natural heirs. So b- both the king and his brother who had preceded him they were both also adopted heirs they weren't the natural children of of the king before them right so the king is more or less on his deathbed they arrange the adoption papers and they name this five-year-old boy as Rao's heir and Rani Lakshmi Bai as his regent and they present this paperwork to Major Ellis who is the serving assistant political agent of John C. And they give this paper this paperwork with the official adoption notice on November 20th, 1853. And the following day, the king dies. So just under the wire. And Major Ellis forwards the information to his superior, Major John Malcolm, who was also a Scottish soldier. And he was the East India Company rep who was in charge of John C. Oh, I should have clarified it. So at this period of time, the British are basically ruling... Their government is like controlling everything like a puppet. And they've left a lot of these Rajas and Indian leaders in charge. But Britain is still like the actual controller of things, if that makes sense. Sure. It's like puppet leaders. Puppet leaders. Right. This is a very bad way to explain it. So I apologize, everybody. You should read much more about the British occupation and all that's going on. So I'm moving quickly through this because it's just kind of too dense to spend a ton of time on (laughs) 
I mean, yeah, there's entire courses that cover this period of history. So it's... Exactly. So if I, get, if I don't get it perfect, I apologize in advance. But also, I think that I've got like the main gist of it. So Ellis forwards this information to his superior, Major Malcolm. And Major Ellis apparently is really sympathetic to the situation. And Malcolm is too. They don't really support her regency, though, even though they highly respect her. They, they said, quote, she is a woman highly respected and esteemed and I believe fully capable of doing justice to such a charge. So as per usual on this podcast, we find like the white colonizers are very busy setting up all these new rules to quote, legally steal the land out from under the natives, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the general overview of the political situation is that Lord Dalsey is India's governor general. Obviously he's a British guy and the British government had adopted this really aggressive policy of annexing Indian states. We all remember annexing from like Hawaii and all these other places, right? Madagascar. Madagascar, where the colonies just come in and they're like, oh yeah, this is ours now. And so Britain just was going in and just taking these Indian states. And in addition to doing that in general, they also had the doctrine of lapse. This put any sovereign Indian state as a vassal state under British rule through the East India Company. And it recognized the monarchical succession of Indian states. But Lord Dalsey at this point takes it a step farther. And he says that if the adoption of an heir to the throne was not ratified by the, quote, government slash British government, the Mm -hmm. state would pass by, quote, lapse to the British. So, <laughs> oh, of course. How how convenient how, for England. How convenient. So even though the paperwork was forwarded, even though Major Ellis is like, yeah, she seems like she's really good at what she's doing. The British are like, mm, uh, <laughs> and Dalsey refuses to acknowledge Damodar Rao as the rightful heir to the kingdom. There's also this new British superintendent, Captain Alexander Skeen, who takes control of Jhansi now under the doctrine of lapse. Lakshmi Bai is allowed to keep the town palace as her personal residence, and she is granted an annual pension of 5,000 rupees, from which she's also expected to pay her husband's debts at that time period. I feel like that's not a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And and Damodar Rao, the, the adopted kid, he inherits the Raja's personal estate, but neither the kingdom nor the title. So Lakshmi Bai is like, what the fuck? What the fuck, Britain? And on December 3rd, she writes a letter contesting the doctrine of lapse with Ellis, Major Ellis's approval, but Malcolm, the other major, doesn't forward it. Conveniently, he's like, mm, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to forward that. And then she submits a second letter in February. This is still 1854. And she had been consulting with the British Council. And she's like, how can we do this? And so she declares, Mira Jansi Nahim Dengi which in Hindi means, I will not give up my jhansi. Which to this day, uh, that phrase is one of India's most lauded and patriotic rallying cries. I love that. She submits another petition, April 22nd, and she continues to resubmit petitions till early 1856. And every single one of her appeals, guess what, Chloe? Are they rejected? They're rejected by the colonizers. What a surprise. Now, at the same time, so just, so she's like trying to play by British rules and get it done the British way, right? She's submitting the petitions. But at the same time, 
that all of this is happening inside John C. Outside John C., there's already rebellion happening kind of all around them. The British were like stomping around and imposing all their like British social practices and their Christianity and they're banning Indian customs and Indians are getting fucking mad about it. And uprisings are becoming more and more frequent. It's almost like people don't like it when you try to ban them from participating in their cultures and traditions. Right? The British rulers were busy reforming all these Indian customs and traditions. And in the process, they're undermining Hinduism and their sacred religious laws, right? So this is things like child marriage and sati, which is when a widow throws herself on her husband's funeral pyre. Instead, the British allowed her to remarry. And then also, they were allowing converts from Hinduism to inherit family property. And at the same time, there's a bunch of land reforms, quote, land reforms, going on in Bengal, which is in eastern India. And it was basically the British taking land from Indian landholders and straight up giving it to the Brits. So all of this unrest is leading to increasing violence throughout North and Central India. And the unrest isn't limited to civilians either. There's also growing unrest amongst the Sepoys, who are the Indian soldiers that were hired by the British East India Company's army. And so what is the cause of the soldiers' malcontent? A few different things, but primarily the General Services Enlistment Act of 1856 required all recruits to go overseas if ordered. Now, going overseas would cause a Hindu to lose caste, which was a huge deal for people. So people were very upset at this, that they were going to be forced to lose caste. There also were rumors abound that the cartridges for their new rifles were greased with cow or pig fat, which would be an abomination by Hindu and Muslim law. Seems like a weird thing to do, but it also seems like exactly the kind of thing you would do as a colonizer. Yeah, I mean... It's like, oh, you're offended if I rub this in pig fat? Well, then I'm just going to dip it in pig fat. And Yeah, and ultimately they were trying to undermine those religions anyway because they wanted to convert people to Christianity. So the more that they were able to kind of like subvert Hinduism and, and Muslim soldiers and their beliefs, the more that it could make them Christians, you know, and, and, and win them over to Christianity. Right. So the soldiers were seeing all these things happening, whether or not they were true, whether or not they were rumors or or truthhoods, they were all seeing it as kind of a systematic British effort to undermine their faith. So all this unrest is building and building. And then on May 9th, 1857 in Meerut, which is about 50 miles northeast of Delhi, and Jhansi, uh, for comparison, is about 280 miles southeast of Delhi. So this is north of Delhi. 85 sepoys refuse to use their rifle cartridges and they are tried by the British officers in charge, and they're put in irons. And the following day, three regiments of sepoys storm the jail, kill all the officers and their families, and they begin to march to Delhi. And this is kind of the inciting incident that kicks off what will later become known as the, quote, Indian Mutiny. Now, with the mutiny of the Sepoys, there's an opportunity for civilian leaders whose powers, much like what Lakshmi Bai is going through, is being constantly threatened by the Brits, right? The Doctrine of Lapse, all that shit. So these civilian leaders have this opportunity that they can take charge in this disarray. And a bunch of them were able to kind of transform the mutiny into a more organized resistance against the British East India Company. And up to this point now, Lakshmi Bai and Jhansi have remained loyal to the British East India Company leadership. But on June 6th, the troops stationed at Jhansi 
mutiny and they shoot their commanding officers and lay siege on the star fort which is like the fort in this in the middle of john c the city's 66 european residents half of whom are women and children hide under the fort under the direction of captain skeen but even though the fort is pretty well designed to withstand the sieges they didn't have a lot of food so they couldn't stay there very long so on june 8th Captain Skeen tries to sneak everybody out of the fort, but they're caught and completely massacred. And then on June 12th, four days later, the soldiers, the mutineer soldiers leave and they march for Delhi as well. Now remember, Lakshmi Bai, at this point, she's not in charge of the region. Her power has been stripped by the Doctrine of Lapse, and all her appeals were denied, and she was relegated to her private palace with her minuscule pension, right? She was not in the fort where this mutiny happened. In fact, the mutinying soldiers more or less kind of hold her hostage during all this. She didn't have any government power. The only manpower she had to protect her were her personal guards. So there's nothing she could really do when the fort was surrounded. She kind of like had to just kind of sit there. She couldn't render any kind of aid. And then after the Europeans are massacred, the soldiers come to her and they threaten her and they extort money from her and destroy her property and they threaten to blow up her palace if she doesn't comply with whatever they're asking from her. So she gives them what they ask for. And as soon as they march on to Delhi, Lakshmi Bai immediately writes to Major Walter Erskine, who is the commissioner at Sagar and Narbuda. So he's like the, the closest Brit leader in power, right? Or in, in a management position. She writes him immediately and she tells him everything that just happened. And in the meantime, with all the troops gone, there's massive chaos. There's like a huge power vacuum. So Lakshmi Bai quickly takes charge of the situation and she fills the empty government positions, including police, and she kind of restores the order. And it seems like, based on the articles I was reading, it seems like she did it also like out of her own pocket, like she was paying these people herself because she was so afraid for her life with all of the local violence. Plus, Jhansi was also facing attacks by its neighboring principalities. And apparently a, a distant claimant to the throne of Jhansi was also kind of threatening to come in and take power. So she does what she can with her own minuscule pension. And then she writes a second letter to the British telling them about all of the anarchy that's going on. And she requests their assistance and soldiers. And she also requests orders from them on how to proceed. And from from what you're, you're reading and what you've found, did it sound like everything that she was saying to the British was true? Like she had no part in it? Or is it possible that that was like, I don't know, a play, strategic move to... It seems like if she was going to rebel and if she was going to join forces from the beginning, that she would have just done that. The British just really fucked her. She had like tried to kind of play by the it, you know it definitely seems like the british blamed her for the soldiers mutiny which would not have been her fault because she wouldn't have had power at that point anyway right now erskine who she writes to forwards both of her letters to calcutta and he includes a personal note saying that the account that she provided of the things that happened in the uh, mutiny aligned with his own sources and he also authorizes lakshmi Bai to officially manage jansi until he can send soldiers to restore order so lakshmi Bai has the official thumbs up and she sets right to work and she recruits an army and she strengthens the city's defenses and she also forms alliances with some of the rebel rajas uh, of Banpur and Shagarth to help kind of solidify Jhansi's protections so they're not quite so vulnerable. And even though Erskine supported Lakshmi Bai's account, the rest 
of the British establishment goes right to work in blaming Lakshmi Bai entirely for the uprising that happened in Jhansi. And apparently some of Skeen's, the, you know, the captain who was massacred, his deputies and personal servants reported that when the British asked Lakshmi Bai for help, that she refused to have anything to do with, quote, the British swine. And there was apparently a Eurasian clerk's wife who claimed to have escaped the fort with her children, and she said that Lakshmi Bai promised the British safe conduct only to lead them into the massacre. Now, the good news uh, for the sake of this podcast is that that testimony has been like 100% debunked by prominent historians. So whatever this false witness claimed was not accurate. It was just an attempt to paint Lakshmi Bai as a traitor and a terrible person, right? It was also reported to the Brits that some of her new army recruits from this army that she raised included mutineers from the Jhansi garrison. They also saw her move so quickly to reestablish control in Jhansi The British East India Company basically is like, all of these facts, facts, point to Lakshmi Bai. It must have been her that started the mutiny. So in January 1858, Major General Sir Hugh Rose marches to Jhansi. On March 25th, he lays siege on Jhansi and he threatens that if Lakshmi Bai is captured, she will be executed. So until this point, Lakshmi Bai, she had originally planned to allow the British to restore order when the troops arrived. But this execution order really shifts the winds for her. And instead of ceding to the Brits, when they siege Jhansi, her and her, her army that she's raised actively resist the British. Now, they managed to defend the fort way better than they had any right to, since they're kind of like a ragtag army. But by March 30th, most of Lakshmi Bai's guns had been disabled, and the fort's walls were being breached one by one. And on April 3rd, the British break into the city, and they take the palace, and they storm the fort. And one of the historians uh, in the article said that there was street fighting in every quarter and heaps of dead lay all along the rampart and in the streets below. And those who could not escape threw their women and babies down wells and jumped on themselves. Ooh, Ooh, that is brutal. Not everybody makes it out. Her, Her father was left there and he was captured and hanged by the British. And the British sack the city for the next three days. Now, Lakshmi Bai, though, being as smart as she was and as trained as she was and as badass as she was, she saw this ending coming before it happened. She knew that things were were not going to end up well for them. So the night before the city is lost, she ties her 10-year-old son and the heir to the throne to her back, and she gets on a horse, and she sneaks out and rides out into the night, escaping the British. And Lakshmi Bai rides like 92 miles in 24 hours to the fortress of Kalpi, where they join up with three other resistance leaders, Nana Sahib, Rao Sahib, and Tatya Tope, or Tope, who became famous for the Indians and infamous for the British, (laughs) for the the atrocity at Kanpur, which I didn't read more about that particular incident. So here's a very, very brief overview of what happens next. And as always, I encourage you listeners to do some research into these events yourself, as they are definitely more complex than I can give them credit for in this short episode. But on May 6th, the combined rebel army now fights the British at Kunch. They aren't successful, though, and they're forced to retreat to Kalpi, where there's another big battle. They're defeated again at Kalpi, and they retreat once more, this time to Gwalior. Now, Gwalior controls both the Grand Trunk Road and the telegraph lines between Agra and Bombay. So it was like this major, heavily desired location for for both sides of the fight. 
The Maharaja of Gwalior had remained loyal to the British to this point, and he tried to stop the rebels when they arrived. But in a turn of event that should shock nobody listening to this podcast, his troops hear the pitch of the rebels, and they're like, actually, we really like the side they're fighting for. And they leave the Maharaja, and they go over to the rebel side, and the Maharaja is forced to flee, and the rebels get control of Gwalior. So now it's June 16th, and Major Rose and his army is closing in on Gwalior. And at the request of the other rebel leaders, apparently, Lakshmi Bai leads what remains of her own Jansi army out to stop them at Kotak, Kisarai. And apparently worth noting because all of my sources mention it, she was wearing all mayor attire when she leads the army. And on the second day of this battle, Lakshmi Bai is shot from her horse and killed. Apparently there's several different sources that say that she was either struck with a bullet or she was stabbed by a saber. Um, but this particular battle at Gwalior is the last battle of the Indian Rebellion. Gwalior ends up falling soon after that, and the organized resistance more or less collapses at that point. And the British win again in this mm. particular rebellion. And of course, the British papers call Lakshmi by terrible names like Jezebel of India. But Sir Hugh Rose, the guy who actually fought her on the battlefield, compares her to Joan of Arc. And he says, quote, The Rani is remarkable for her bravery, cleverness, and perseverance. Her generosity to her subordinates was unbounded. These qualities, combined with her rank, rendered her the most dangerous of all the rebel leaders. Soon after this particular, quote, rebellion, the British government dissolves the East India Company because they started to get concerned about, like, the aggressive tactics that the East India Company was wreaking on India. And India comes back under control of the crown instead of the East India Company. And shortly after this, the policy of Lord Dowsey's of annexing kingdoms without heirs, that policy is dissolved shortly after this incident. India remains under the British crown another 90 years, though, and it's not until 1947. 1947. Chloe, did you know that that recently was when India dissolved its, it's not under the crown anymore? I had no idea. I did. I think I just remembered that from Sam's episode really early on. Oh, Indira Gandhi. Yes, yes. Indira Gandhi. I, re- I just remembered being surprised then at like how l- recent in history it was that India was like actually in I charge I of itself. I forgot that in Sam's episode. I must have like totally blanked on that but when i'm reading this i'm going 1947 so 90 years after this particular uprising which was a huge uprising right was when was when um the british would finally be kicked out and just like shortly after world war ii so i wonder if world war ii weakened england enough that they were like you know what handle it yourself we have to rebuild yeah, I here i have no idea Today, today though, um, Lakshmi Bai has, of Jhansi has been immortalized. She's a national heroine. There's movies and TV shows and books and nursery rhymes about her. <laughs> Streets and colleges and universities are named after her. Young girls dress up like her. They wear pants and turbans and swords and statues of her on horseback with her son like tied to her back. There's all these pictures I'm going to have on the website you guys can all look at. In, and in fact, we just said, we just mentioned Prime Minister Indira Gandhi. Apparently in one of her political commercials in the 1980s, she dressed as Lakshmi Bai. Oh. <laughs> I love the broad you should know throwbacks. <laughs> yeah. You have to like me because I'm going to now remind you of this famous woman <laughs> from our history who said, fuck the exactly. British. 
But it sounds like she didn't actually do anything to fuck the British. It was more like she tried to go through proper channels and nothing ever happened and then she had to run away. But the fact that she joined with the rebel forces at the end and she went on the battlefield was like a major... So it was like she tried to play with the British and when they didn't she was like, fuck them. And and then she turned her armies against them and then she escaped and she joined with other rebel leaders. I mean, the fact that she was, first of all, a woman leader, there weren't really women queens who were leading at the time. And then second of all, that she mm-hmm. was so strong a leader and she and that she went to the battlefield herself and led the armies herself in these final battles and held the fortress against the British, even though it wasn't successful. Yeah, that's badass. Right now, I just want to say, like, I definitely want to look up at least one of the movies that was made about her in India. Right? Like, it, it, I, I, I would imagine it is great. Yeah, so. I didn't watch any. I didn't look up any of the movies, but she's like absolutely epic. There's so many Indian broads we haven't covered that I, like, I I wanted to do an Indian broad today, and she was the first one that popped up, and there's a long list of them, and I think so many of them were inspired by Lakshmi Bai. She's one of the, like, iconic heroines in Indian history. She's, like, definitely a broad we should have known this whole time, right? I think so. And now we know who she is. Yes. Thank you for bringing me her story. Thank you for being here to listen to her. To learn more about Rani Lakshmi Bai and see some paintings of her and her great quotes, visit broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page to learn more about Chloe. Her bio and photo and links to all her cool stuff is there. Also, you should follow us on social media if you aren't already. We're on Facebook and Instagram at broadsyoushouldknow and Twitter at BYSKpodcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Are you a fan of our podcast? If so, then you should help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends and family and leave a review on your podcasting platform. That really helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is sponsored by Zencaster, the all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio quality audio and video without needing all the technical know-how. You can record each guest locally in their own space, then upload crystal clear audio and video right into the Zencaster suite so you have high quality raw materials to edit with. If you sign up now with our code, you will get 30% off. That's 30% off if you go to zen.ai slash broads you should know. That's zen.ai slash broads you should know. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really enjoyed hearing about Rani Lakshmi Bai's story, then I highly recommend you check out a few of our other badass warrior queens. We've got episodes on Nakano Takeko, Vishpala, Kutulun Khan, and the original Mulan. And we also have some great Indian heroines, including Kadambini Ganguli, Indira Gandhi, and Chakuntala Devi. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.